All right, take your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the last few verses, verses 18 through 20. Uh, this morning, if you are using one of our handout Bibles on the either side of the room here, those black hardcover CSB Bibles, it's on page 886. If you don't have a Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to grab that. We don't put it up on the screen uh, for a reason. We want you to see it in a Bible in front of you. Now, if you have it on your phone, that's great, but I want you to see where it's at in the scripture itself so that you can go back home, you can talk about it together, and uh, Acts 17, 11 uh, tells that, that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. These are the Jews. When they heard Paul's word, they eagerly received it with gladness, and yet they also investigated to see if what he said was true. I never want you to take my word, but I do want you to take God's word, okay? So I want to encourage you um, to have that in front of you so that you don't just see it as a slide on the screen, but actual text in a book that God has given to us as a gift of grace. Uh, so take that Bible with you if you don't have one um, and, and you don't own a Bible, that's yours. You can take it with you. There's a, a half sheet of paper in there that helps you um, get started in reading that and not just by yourself, but in, encourages you and teaches you how to, how to invite others into that with you. Uh, like I said earlier, we're going to wrap up our sermon series on our values here at Redeemer. Okay, and again, if I want to encourage you to grab a handout before you leave uh, at the back table there, or go to our website and, and uh, click on uh, uh, our focus. I think is the tab that it says that has our mission statement, our values, our um, statement of beliefs, and things like that. Okay, um, we've we've been focusing on this in this series on a number of things that that we seek to prioritize together as a church. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's not like if there's not something on there, it's like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But these are things that we want to, to really uh, have in front of us as a church as we move forward and grow together. Uh, and and, and uh, I, I can't really think of a better passage for us uh, to, to end with in our series here, or a more fitting way to end our series than by looking at the end of Matthew's gospel and the great commission that Jesus uh, gives here. This final value that we're going to focus on this morning is growth, okay? Now, after John 3.16, Matthew 28.18 through 20 may be the most recognized and memorized and merchandised uh, uh, passage in all of Scripture, okay? These verses are traditionally referred to as the great commission, and there have been more books written and more sermons preached on this passage uh, than we can count. And that's, that, that's because it's an incredibly important passage for the global church, okay? Now, I want you to know I have nothing new to bring to the table here this morning. Chances are that I'm not gonna say anything new in this sermon that, that someone hasn't already said about this passage. But as we work our way through these verses together, my hope is that we will humbly and carefully listen to what Jesus has said in this passage and turn our hearts to it. If we do that, I think that we'll see how this great commission that Jesus gave to his first disciples now extends to us here at Redeemer and defines the kind of growth. If we're prioritizing growth, we need to know what that growth is and what it looks like. And I think this passage is gonna define that kind of growth that we ought to prioritize here as a church we're looking at three verses this morning. I want to read them and then ask for the Lord's help and we'll dig in together. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Father, by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our hearts to be convinced by these truth-filled words of your Son and committed to obeying them together for the sake of Christ's glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want our church to grow, okay? I I think that's probably the heart of every pastor, that, that we would grow together. And I hope that you want our church to grow as well, but we need to want the right kind of growth, right? I think we live in a day and age, and, and maybe that's starting to shift a little bit, but uh, where, where we often, too often, see pastors and churches get caught up in the numbers game, and they, get, they gauge church growth by counting people in the pews and envelopes and the offering plate, right? Now, those things aren't inherently wrong uh, to measure. If you look in your program, you can see last week's offering amount, right? We've talked about this as a church before. This, this is a way for us to see evidence of God's grace as we grow uh, in this act of grace to give. But when these things become primary means, primary means for measuring growth, that's an indication that, that the pastor or a, a church is in danger of losing sight of who it is that actually grows the church and how he has chosen to do so, right? Now, back in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel, after Jesus asked the disciples that famous question uh, 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 in in, uh, Caesarea, he says, who do you say I am, right? And Peter answers, "Uh, uh, uh, you are the Messiah and the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right, but you didn't come up with that on your own. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus said these other famous words, and you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. I will grow my church. And not even the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will be able to overcome it. So here's what we're going to look at this morning as we come to the end of Matthew's gospel. Here's our main point of the message, and I think it's the main point of our text. Jesus will grow his church through his disciples' obedience to his great commission. Jesus will grow his church through his disciples' obedience to his great commission. We're gonna look at three things from this text this morning to help us see this. First, we're gonna look at the mission and, and ask what is it exactly is Jesus calling his disciples to do? And then we're going to look at the means. How then does Jesus want his disciples to carry out the mission that he's giving to them? And then finally, we're going to look at the motivation. What is it then that fuels obedience to Jesus in this mission? Short passage. I just want to read it again so it's fresh in our minds. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, when we think of the Great Commission, right, it's one of those, one of those phrases that we've heard so often, we don't actually really think and stop and think about what it means. We can think of the Great Commission this way, okay? The Great Commanded Mission, 
It's a great commanded mission that the risen Jesus Christ was commanding his disciples to do something specific, something particular. He was sending them out on a specific mission. And so what exactly then was Jesus calling his disciples to do? What was this mission? We find the answer in verse 19. He says, make disciples. Make disciples. Now, a lot had already happened by the time these words came out of Jesus' mouth. In Matthew chapter 27, which was just a few verses before this, Jesus was crucified and he was buried in a tomb. And after he was buried, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and they asked him to secure the tomb with Roman guards because Jesus made this claim about rising from the dead after three days. Now, we need to understand, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they did not believe this claim to be true And yet they were worried that the disciples were going to come in the middle of the night and steal Jesus' body and then say that that was true. So they're like, hey, let's just beef up the security, can we? But neither the unbelief of the Jewish leaders nor the heavily guarded tomb could stop Jesus from rising from the dead. Amen? Just like he said he would. The risen Christ then appeared to Mary Magdalene and some of the other women who were there with her and he sent them to go and tell, he says, my brothers, the disciples to leave for Galilee and and that they would see him when they got there. Verse 16 tells us that the 11 disciples, notice 11, right? We're missing one. Who is it? Judas. He betrayed Jesus. The 11 go to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus directed them and Then verse 17 tells us that when they saw the risen Christ, they worshiped him, but then some doubted. And we read that and we're like, really, for real? You doubted? Like, he's risen. But I think that if we're honest, we would probably have these mixed emotions too. Still trying to understand all of this, this man who claimed to be God and then died and then rose from the grave said, go meet me here and I'll see you there. And now he's there and they're staring at him and and there's like, he's God, but he's, he's dead and now he's alive. Like, what's happening? And Jesus wastes no time, and he's like, listen, I'm sending you out on a mission. That's the context in which Jesus came near and commissioned them to go and make disciples of him. But Matthew tells us about something that happened while Mary Magdalene and the other women were on their way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples about the risen Christ. If you have your Bible open, just back up with me for a minute to verse 11, chapter 28. As they were on their way, some of the, the women were on their way. Some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, the disciples came during the night and stole him while, they were, while uh, we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, that's Pontius Pilate, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day, at least to the day that Matthew was writing about this. Instead of believing Jesus' claim and becoming his disciples themselves, these chief priests and the elders, they denied the reality of his resurrection. They bribed the guards, and then they sent, listen, the guards on a mission. They sent the guards on a mission to fabricate a story about what had happened There's quite a contrast then here between the commission that the guards received from the Jewish leaders and the commission that the disciples received from Jesus. Isn't there? 
The guards were sent out to spread a lie about Jesus and turn people against him while the disciples were sent out by Jesus himself to tell the truth about Jesus and call people to follow him. There's a contrast here that we should see and this should remind us that Jesus will build his church. And not even a lie, a fabricated lie from the gates of Hades will be able to overcome it. Jesus will grow his church. His mission is better than any mission that the Jewish chief priests and Pharisees could come up with. Jesus was sending his disciples on a mission that would not fail, and that mission is to make disciples, to point people to Jesus, to call them to put their faith in him, and to help them follow him as Lord and master of their lives. The main command, the main verb in this passage is make disciples in verse 19. But the scope of this mission then implies the need for Jesus' disciples to go, another verb there, in order to carry it out. Look again what he told them in verse 19. He said, make disciples of what? All nations, all nations. Jesus wants followers from every people group in the world. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, uh, uh, Luke's version of this, this moment Jesus calls his disciples and he tells them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The mission to make disciples is a global mission to both Jews and non-Jews. It involves going to make disciples and, listen, making disciples as you go right? It's also a mission that continues to the end of the age, according to verse 20. And so it won't be complete until Christ returns. What does that mean for us? It means that this is an all of the world kind of mission, and it's an all of life kind of mission. Anybody here going to make it to the end of the age? Not unless Jesus comes back during our lifetime. It goes beyond the disciples in in the first century, and it will probably go beyond us. That means it's our whole life. It's our whole life. Here's what it means, though. If you are a disciple of Jesus, there is never a place in this world and there is never a time in your life when you are not on mission to make disciples. But that reality often gets lost in the background of lesser missions, doesn't it? Let me give you an example I like to walk here to my office during the week when the weather is nice. It's good for exercise for me. It helps me save a little bit on gas money. It's nice. You know me. I like to bird watch. I like to see how many bird species I can count on the way here. But exercise and budgeting, listen, these are good things, but they're lesser missions. They're lesser missions. Earlier in the summer, the Lord reminded me of a greater mission, the greater mission, the great commission, right? For my walk to the office. One morning on my walk, I noticed an elderly woman sitting out on her front step, and, and I said hello, and we got to making small talk, and, and I found out that she was getting ready to, to weed her yard. And it was, it was in the summer still. It was already hot, sunny, like, you know, that humidity was, was uh, pressing down. We made some more small talk, and I ended the conversation this way. Well, good luck with your weeds. And I, and I walked away. See you later. And it was, it was after the fact that the Lord in his grace, by his spirit, convicted my heart to see the gospel opportunity that I had missed there. 
why do, listen, why are there weeds? Why do we toil in our yards? Why do we toil at work? Genesis 3 tells us. It's a part of the curse. Why did the curse come? Because the first human sinned against God and rebelled against him in the garden. And every human ever since now needs what they needed to be reconciled to God. I could have used weeds to talk about our, 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 our uh, common need for a savior and, talk, and, and then introduce Jesus to this woman. I missed it. But the Lord in his kindness, do you know it's a kindness when God convicts us? When he convicts our hearts through his word and by his spirit, it's a kindness so that we would, we would uh, come yet again and, and back to Jesus and remember his grace and then walk in obedience to him. So I started praying before I left my house. Lord, help me be alert. Help me pay attention. Help me actually look for people instead of birds, right? And, and let, me, let me just uh, listen to your prompting and, and talk to people as you allow me to do so. And the Lord in his grace gave me another opportunity uh, not, not a long time later, a few days later, met, met this woman again. She was walking one way, I was walking the other way. And I asked her, how'd the weeds go, right? And yet, that led into a deeper conversation about uh, her, some of her life story. I got to hear about her struggles, things that she's frustrated with. And I got to pray with her there. And, and in the prayer, just talk about this God who is uh, the God who hears and knows and who is able to meet us where we're at and, and who has the answer to our struggles. I didn't get to share the full gospel with her in that moment, but listen, I'll take what I can get now. I don't want to miss that again, right? And I'm praying that the Lord in his grace would give me more conversations with her, would bring more people into her life that can, that can share the, the hope of the gospel with her and that she comes to Jesus in faith. That's disciple-making. That's a greater mission that's a greater mission. You see, my daily walk to the office isn't ultimately about getting exercise or saving a little gas money, even though those are good things. What is my daily walk uh, uh, to the office about if it's not about making disciples? It's about making disciples. It's about carrying out the great commission. If you're a follower of Christ, the job that you have isn't ultimately about paying the bills. It's not ultimately about providing for yourself or your family, even though those are good things. You know what it's about? It's about making disciples of Jesus. It's about following the great commanded mission. Going to school, students, is not about getting a good ed education. That's, that's part of it. But that's not the ultimate thing. It's about making disciples of Jesus Christ where you are at. Do you see the disciple-making opportunities in your marriage or in your parenting or in your retirement or in your dating or your friendships or in the things that you post online or the sports that you play? How about in your successes and your failures or in your weaknesses and your strengths? Listen, how about even in your sickness, your frailty, your sufferings, your hardships. Do you see the disciple-making opportunities in those things? As disciples of Jesus, we are on a mission from Jesus. And that mission is to make more disciples of Jesus. 
Christ has not called us to live lives focused on personal fulfillment. We, we heard about that in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. Those who live for Christ no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. We're not called to live lives of personal fulfillment. We are called to live lives focused on fulfilling the great commission, the great commanded mission from our Lord to make disciples, make disciples of Jesus. One author puts it this way, which I found to be incredibly convicting this week. The great, he says, this is the great commission. Listen, not the great suggestion. I feel that one. I feel that one. In other words, this mission, listen, it's not optional for, for Christ followers. That means that even though we focus on this as a value as the church, it's not just a value that we picked out of thin air and we're like, yeah, let's put our energy into that. No, it's something that we are commanded to do by Christ himself. It has to be a value of our church. It can't not be a value of our church. This should shape the way that we view our lives and direct the way that we go about living every single day. Make disciples. That's the mission. But then how does Jesus want his disciples to carry out this mission as they go to all nations? Well, we need to look at the means then. If the main verb in this passage is to make disciples, then the other verbs are supporting verbs. They tell us how we make disciples. And we find two supporting verbs in verses 19 and 20. Look again with me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the, that's the mission. Here it is. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching, these are the means by which disciples of Jesus make more disciples of Jesus. Now that sounds pretty simple, so let's unpack these things just for a moment. Baptism is a sign of the new covenant in Christ. Through his sacrifice on the cross as our substitute, Jesus established a new covenant between God and his people, and he guaranteed it with his blood. In that new covenant and through Christ's finished work, God has forgiven us of all of our sin. He's removed our hardened hearts, rebellious hearts, and he's given us new hearts of flesh that desire him and his ways instead of ourselves and our own ways. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us and unite us to Christ and help us do what pleases him. We're baptized in the name, singular, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because God is one and we belong to him through Christ the Son who is one with the Father and the Spirit. You remember the prayer that, John, or that Jesus prayed in John 17? Father, let them be one with us as we are one. He answered that prayer. Baptism is a visual representation of being united to Christ through his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. We've, we've become one with Christ and therefore one with God. And because of that, we consider ourselves then dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 6. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change of heart. This is what this means right here. It means that those who are baptized are those who have heard the gospel message and have believed it. We baptize people who, who understand their need for Jesus and have confessed that need and say, I've died with, with Christ. 
Like Paul says, I've been crucified with him. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Like the song that we sang this morning, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, right? So the mission of making disciples then necessarily involves evangelism, which is proclaiming the gospel message to those who are far from God and calling them to draw near to God by what? Turning away from their sin, confessing their need for Jesus and entrusting themselves to him and his finished work. When sinners put their faith in Jesus, they become disciples of Jesus. And what happens? Jesus grows his church. Jesus grows his church. So we just need to pause right here this morning and I need to ask you, are you one of his disciples? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? He came to this earth to rescue sinners and from the power of sin and death and from the righteous punishment of God. Did you notice we sang that this morning too? You bore the wrath deserved for me. Now all I know is grace. And he did that by dying on the cross to pay the punishment that we deserve for our sin. He did that by rising from the grave to show that no more payment needs to be made. You can come in and freely sing songs like that. You can come in and freely offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God because you don't have anything else that you need to bring because Jesus brought it all. No more payment needs to be made. When you entrust yourself to Jesus Christ, when you believe that you need his payment for your sin, that's what, it, that's what it means to entrust yourself to him. Guess what happens? You become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Your sin debt is paid in full. It's erased. The punishment that, that, that brought you peace, it was put on Jesus. The punishment that you deserve for your sins will be removed for all eternity and you will be credited with Christ's own righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you get eternal life. You get to see Jesus face to face. Listen, can anyone or anything else offer you anything better than that? Anything better than reconciliation with the God who created you, the God who rules over all things, the God who will bring judgment on those who rebel against him, and the God who saves ridiculously hopeless sinners like me and like you. Why not then turn to this Jesus? Why not confess your need for him? Why not bring your sin and go, here it is, and trust that he's paid for it in full? Why not follow Christ today and become one of his disciples? If you are a disciple of Jesus, or, 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 or well, yeah, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you've done that, you've put your faith in Christ, but you haven't been baptized then maybe it's time for you to consider baptism as a next step of obedience to the Lord. If you want to talk more about that, then see me or Pastor Ben today or, or contact us throughout the week. Our, our, our contact information is in the program. We can discuss more about that. If you're a disciple of Jesus, here's a question for you. Are you sharing this gospel message with the people that he puts into your daily, daily path? Do you see evangelism as a means to carry out the great commission to make disciples? Who are the people that are far from God, listen, and yet God has placed them near to you? 
Why? So that you can tell them about Jesus and invite them to put their trust in him. I want you to invite people to church. I want you to do that. They're going to get the gospel here. But listen, I want you to invite people to Jesus. He's much better than anything I can give you. Invite them to Jesus. If the thought of sharing the gospel with others is intimidating to you, remember Jesus' guarantee. He will build his church. He will grow his church. He has not called you to go out and convince somebody by changing their hearts. You're not going to common sense them. You're not going to have uh, the, this great logical argument. You're not going to force someone, coerce them. You're not going to manipulate them to get into the kingdom of God. You give them Jesus. Why? He's the heart changer. What a glorious heart changer he is. Jesus has called you to share this hope-filled gospel message that points others not to you, not to your uh, skill, but to his grace and his mercy. We can't carry out the Great Commission while neglecting to share the gospel with others. It's, it's an, a vital part of that. You literally can't do it without that. Evangelism is necessary to the mission. That's why missionaries are called missionaries, Right? Why? Because they go on a mission. They go, they go out and they bring the gospel message to lost people in order to make new disciples of Jesus. But we need to understand this, that evangelism is only part of the equation here. We don't just baptize people after, we put, or after they put their trust in Christ and then wish them luck and walk away from them. Like, hey, welcome to the kingdom. See you later. Good luck. No, we also teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded his disciples. That word observe in verse 20 doesn't mean look at. Although we need to look at the word. We need to read it. We need to examine it. We need to, to uh, absorb it, meditate on it, put it in our hearts. The idea here is to persist in obedience, to conform oneself to all that Christ has commanded. And because Christ is one with the Father and the Spirit and all of Scripture is uh, uh, the word of God that points us to Jesus, which Jesus himself showed us when we went through the gospel of John, that means that we don't pay attention only to the red letters in our Bible or only to the New Testament. We need to look at and pay attention to the whole thing. Back in July, we looked at Matthew 22 and we talked about the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that all of the law, all of the prophets, depend on these two commands, hang on these two commands. That means that all of the commands of the Old Testament are summarized in these two things that Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Making disciples not only involves evangelizing the lost, but it also involves discipling the found, right? That is helping those who come to faith in Christ to then mature in conformity to Christ through ongoing obedience to his word. If, we can't, if, if people can't come to Christ without hearing the gospel message, we can't mature in Christ without continuing in the gospel message without continuing in the word of God. We make disciples by helping each other love God and love others as Christ himself has commanded us to do. We say it this way here at Redeemer. We help each other connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of our lives. Do you know that's what we're doing? 
When we say that, this is, this is what we're doing. Jesus has the whole life of the believer in view here, from salvation to sanctification to glorification, from the moment we first believe until the moment that we see Jesus face to face. I see my king face to face, right? Our Lord intends for us not only to grow to be more like him as disciples, but then also to help others do the same. And then, hear this, to help them help others do the same. Why? Because Jesus just said, Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What did he just command them to do? Make disciples. We make disciples who 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 make disciples. How do you think we got here? From that moment right there. And as we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, those disciples then need to be gathered into local bodies of Christ where we can grow into the fullness of Christ together as each member does his or her part. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 4. We need churches that are committed to growing in Christ's likeness together according to Scripture. That means churches that read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and live according to the Bible together as they grow in their love for the Christ of the Bible together. Churches that are centered on Jesus through his word are churches that are centered on the gospel and committed to making disciples. If the Great Commission calls individual disciples to make more disciples, then it implies then that it also calls churches full of disciple makers to plant more churches full of disciple makers. This is not just an individual mission. I think sometimes we make it that. We carry out this mission together as a body, as each one does his or her part. This is why church planting is important to us here at Redeemer. Some of you know our story. We are a church plant. We've been here in October. We'll celebrate four years. Three churches came together and partnered to send us here. Three gospel-centered, disciple-making, Christ-following churches planted Redeemer here. And it's our heart to participate in the planting of other gospel-centered, Christ-following, Bible-believing churches throughout this area, like Partridge Point Community Church in Metamora. It's one of the reasons we had John Bricker come in and preach. There's a mission here that goes way beyond Mononk and Fieldcrest, but it includes Mononk, it includes Fieldcrest. Disciple-making churches ought to be church-planting churches, and church-planting churches ought to be disciple-making churches. If you're a member here at Redeemer, you signed your name on a covenant that lays out this commitment that you are making as a participating member of this church. In that covenant, the last paragraph says this, I believe the mission of the church is to go to the neighborhoods and the nations to reach the lost, make disciples who make disciples, and plant churches who do, that do the same. I will regularly participate in this mission with my church by not only inviting the unchurched to attend and welcoming visitors, but also by being an ambassador for Christ out in the local communities and personally sharing the gospel in both word and deed. You have a job to do. You signed up for it. We have a job to do together. You know what you signed? You know what that that ultimately says? You know what you've committed to when you signed that covenant? 
to obey Jesus' words here to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded you. Are you following through on that commitment? If you're not a member here, but you're committed to carrying out Christ's great commission, then, then you can go back and find a care card and check that box. Let's talk about membership, okay? Find me and, or, or Pastor Ben. Let, let's talk about how we can carry out this mission actually far better together than we can do just kind of in our own little way. Regardless, though, of whether you're a member here at Redeemer or not, Here's the question, are you living on mission to make disciples according to the means that Jesus gives us here? Are you proclaiming the gospel to unbelievers that God has placed in your daily life? Are you teaching your fellow believers to observe everything that Christ has commanded? Are you digging into scripture together and using it to grow in dependence upon Jesus and confidence in him to, excuse me, together? Are you helping your brothers and sisters in Christ connect the realities of the gospel? to the realities of their lives? Are you helping them love God and love others and helping them help others love God and love others? We carry out the Great Commission by obeying the Great Commandments in dependence on our great Savior. When we do that, the church grows larger and the church grows deeper. As the gospel is proclaimed to the lost and more people put their faith in Christ, the church grows. It grows larger in number. More disciples are coming into the kingdom of God as the gospel is lived out together in our daily lives as disciples, then the church grows deeper in Christ-like maturity. We need both. That's the kind of growth we're after. The church grows in Christ because Christ grows the church, and that reality leads us to look at this last thing, the motivation. What is it that fuels our obedience to Jesus in this mission? Well, maybe the, the better question is, who is it? that fuels our obedience to Jesus in this mission. It's Christ himself. Look at again what he has to say in verse 18 and the last part of verse 20. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, down to to the last part of 20. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, Christ himself is our motivation to carry out this mission because he has all the authority, all of it, And he guarantees this mission's success. One of the major themes in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Old Testament points to. Daniel was one of God's people who was exiled from Judah and lived in captivity in Babylon about 600 years before Jesus came. And while Daniel was in captivity, God gave him a vision of the divine son of man who was yet to come. Listen to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. In Daniel's vision, this divine son of man was given all authority in heaven and on earth. And people from all nations would serve him. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is this divine son of man from Daniel's vision and he came and he inaugurated his kingdom through his life and his death and his resurrection. That kingdom continues to grow as his disciples carry out the great commission and not even, listen, not even the gates of Hades 
can overpower it. We've been sent out by the one who has all authority and everlasting dominion. That means that nothing and no one can ultimately thwart the mission that he's given us because nothing and no one can destroy the kingdom of God. That's motivation, is it not, for us to go out and carry this mission out? But it gets even better because here in verse 20, we see that Jesus doesn't just send his disciples out on the mission. He goes with them to carry it out. One of the other major themes of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is God with us. After he gave the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1, Matthew quoted from Isaiah 7, 14. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him, what? Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Listen, now here at the end of Matthew's gospel, it closes with Emmanuel himself making this promise. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Always remember that to the very end of the age. In chapter 13, Jesus said that the great harvest will be at the end of the age, where the wheat and the weeds will be separated from one another. The wheat represents his disciples, the children of his kingdom, and the weeds represent those who have rejected him and have no place in his kingdom. The weeds, the unrighteous rebels, will be gathered and thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, while the wheat, the righteous disciples, will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. That reality ought to motivate us to carry out this mission, right? To go out and make disciples. But, but we should also be motivated by the reality that we don't go out alone. We not only have each other to go out and do this with, we have Christ himself. We have Emmanuel. We have the joy and comfort and confidence of knowing that God with us is actually true. He's with us always, to the end of the age. The Great Commission is an all-of-the-world mission and an all-of-life mission. It means that if you're a disciple of Jesus, there's never a place in this world and never a time in your life that you are not on this mission to make more disciples of Jesus. Praise God then for our Lord's promise here to be with us always to the very end of the age. You know what that means? That means that there's never a place in this world, there's never a time in your life that the king who has all authority in heaven and on earth is not right there with you. Not right there with us, helping us carry out this mission. So what do we have to fear? What are we waiting for? Jesus will grow his church through his disciples' obedience to his great commission. He's given us the mission. Make, make disciples. He's given us the means Baptizing and teaching, we could say evangelism and discipleship. And he's given us the motivation. Listen, we have Christ himself who guarantees the success of his mission by his authority and his presence. So let's then seek this kind of growth that only Christ can bring as we obey his great commission in the power of his spirit and in the abundance of his grace. Let's be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And let's be a disciple-making church plant that, that, that plants disciple-making churches. That plant disciple-making churches until the end of the age, all for the glory of our all-powerful, ever-present King Jesus. Amen? Father, we love you. We thank you that you've given us this clear command through your Son. We pray that as, as we remember that Christ is with us through his Spirit,
is you've given us your word to help us go. That We don't have to, to craft a message. We don't have to fabricate anything. We get to say the truth. We pray that you would hide that in our hearts so that it comes out of our mouths to all who would listen. That you would help us to preach the gospel to the lost and help the disciples grow. That we might make more disciples of Jesus as Jesus himself calls disciples into his kingdom and conforms us more into his image, all for his glory and our good. We pray these things in his name, amen.